We're going to continue forward and, and start the Sermon on the Mount. Okay? So, I want us to approach the Sermon on the Mount, though, slightly differently than I've ever got to experience it. And it's, I'm not saying that no other church has done this. I'm saying that the churches I've been a part of, I've never seen it done this way. And God has really laid it on my heart that this is how we should begin the Sermon on the Mount section, which is with a full reading. It's, a, it's called a Sermon on the Mount. And so I don't give you all, you might wish some weeks, but I don't give you like five minutes or, and like just kind of say, okay, y'all wait till next week and they just give you another five minutes. And then maybe sometimes you want that, but too bad. Um, but there are those um, who would say that this actually is not a true sermon, that Jesus actually did not preach this sermon as we have it here. They would say it's a, it jumps topically too much. It doesn't flow, and if it were actually being preached, then it would have a better flow to it. Um, they say that all throughout Matthew, you can see all of these, these teachings, um, and that what Matthew did was he just collected them all here, and that, but this was not a true, like I would say, historic sermon that was preached, but that Matthew kind of just compiled it all, and ultimately comes down to it's just too disjointed, is what they would say. Um, I, I don't know. I'm just one of these. I understand what they're saying, but I just always go back to a plain reading and plain understanding of Scripture. I'm just a simple guy. I love to study. Um, I hope it's evident that, that I study, that Andy studies, that whoever's preaching studies because we, we value that. But I'm just, I look at it as this. What do we have before us right now? We have Scripture before us. And, and 2 Timothy 3, 16-17 says, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So for all the disparity of the clamoring voices of this sermon, I just kind of come back to this piece. It's Scripture. Like, it's what they can try to account for, they can't actually historically prove. They're speculating. What we know is we have... God's Word, and it's all breathed out by God. And if it's all breathed out by God, and it's what we have, then it's perfect for everything that we need. So I'm settled in this way, Matthew 5 through 7. Is it Scripture? Yes. Then is it breathed out by God? Yes. Is it what we need? Yes. I need Scripture. You need Scripture. And so that's kind of where I settle is, what if, like... This is simply enough. Like we didn't have to like try and figure out the historical origins of this sermon. I don't know. Maybe Jesus like said it all exactly like this. Like what if it is exactly like that? I mean, I'm telling you, as I just read commentaries, they're like, well, it's likely that this and this. And I'm like, you don't know that. All I know is what I have preserved by God, by his spirit through the men that he moved to write it. And it's his word. And that's enough. So that's where we're, we're going to handle it as a single sermon because the Word of God, which I've never doubted, presents it as a single sermon, and I'm good with that. Okay, so if you go do your own studies, and I'm okay with that, you might get into, well, now it's, it's likely that this was not a cohesive sermon, but Matthew took liberties. Prove it, right? How could he recollect all these things? Because they only pinned things as the Spirit moved them to pin them. The Spirit would give them remembrance. Jesus promised that. So we're handling it as one sermon. 
And so I thought, why not hear it as one sermon? I've heard the salt and light sermon. I've heard the you have heard, but I have sermon. I've heard the Father's Prayer sermon. And we're going to be breaking out all those, but, but that's just taking piece and part and parcel. Like whenever it all comes together, it has a new dynamic. And so we're going to read it in that way. And we're going to trust the Lord in that way. And so the Sermon on the Mount is one of those that it, it does cause us to rest in some verses because we're like, oh, that's good. And it causes us to repent because it's hard. But what I want you to get is that these are the words of our Lord who came for us. And it's tough. And it's comforting. And it's wonderful because He tells us what He wants us to know. It's just what we listen. If like the first four chapters of Matthew, we kept saying, stand amazed or marvel again, like at the remembrance of some of these things we were used to, I think beginning in the Sermon on the Mount in this passage for this series that we're going to be moving through, it's, oh, hear Him. Like, listen to what He says. So we're going to be moving through this. And as we do, you're probably going to find that there are some passages where it really starts to push into you and it makes you uncomfortable. And you're going to find some passages where it's just really light. And I think it's because Hebrews 4, 12-13, listen to this, it says, For the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. As Scripture is preached, as it's read, like simply put, I believe that God's Word pierces and divides within us to a degree that no orator or philosopher ever could. And so, as you're sitting there, I pray that we do sense the Spirit moving within us, calling us to repentance and calling us to rest and remembrance. But we need to take them to heart, be ready to rest, be ready to repent, but oh, listen to our God. I do want to share what some theologians said to kind of frame it, and then we're going to start. Um, in the Expositor's Bible Commentary, which is one of my favorites, it just kind of starts this way. It says, The Sermon on the Mount is the first of five major discourses in the Gospel of Matthew. Not only because it's the first and the longest, so there's, there's five extended passages where Jesus speaks. Okay, this is the first one. So not only is it the first and the longest, and therefore it helps to determine the critical approach toward all of them, but listen to this, it also deals with the ethical issues of fundamental importance in every age. So we're going to deal with, and we're going to hear exposed, many ethical issues that we have to deal with as Christians. We live in a world where these are real things. They go on to say that the unifying theme of the sermon is the kingdom of heaven. And here's why they say that. This is established not by... Not by counting how many times the expression occurs, but by noting where it occurs. You're going to hear this over and over again. The, the kingdom of heaven envelops the Beatitudes. It, appear, it appears in chapter 5, verses 17 through 20, which details a relation between the Old Testament and the kingdom. A subject that leads to... Okay, well, let's skip that part. Um, it returns at the heart of the Lord's Prayer. It climaxes a section of kingdom perspectives, and it's presented at what, at what must finally be entered. So you're going to hear kingdom of heaven over and over again. It is what they would say the theme of the sermon. 
But I love what Warren Wiersbe says, because he says that the main theme is true righteousness. And he says the religious leaders had an artificial external righteousness based on law. But the righteousness Jesus described, listen to this please, is a true and vital righteousness that begins internally in the heart. The Pharisees were concerned about the minute details of conduct, but they neglected the major matter of character. Conduct flows out of character. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, humanly speaking, it is possible to understand the Sermon on the Mount in a thousand different ways. But Jesus knows only one possibility, simple surrender and obedience. Not interpreting or applying it, but doing and obeying. That is the only way to hear His words. He does not mean for us to discuss it as an ideal. He really means for us to get on with it. And Oswald Chambers says, The Sermon on the Mount is not a set of principles to be obeyed apart from identification with Christ. The Sermon on the Mount is a statement of the life we live when the Holy Spirit is getting His way with us. So they're kind of framing it there. Here's what I would say. All those things being true, absolutely. What the Sermon on the Mount is for me is that as God called His people out of Egypt in the Old Testament and declared Himself to be their God and gave them the law to shape and define and refine them, So Jesus here has been calling disciples to follow Him and He delivers a Sermon on the Mount to shape and define and refine them of what He, God, expects. It is not just a set of random topics to me, but it's a call to heart-level discipleship. It's a clarifying of holiness and righteousness. It's a communication of God's desire for intentional godly living. It's a distinction between the religion of our days and the relationship that bears the fruit of repentance. Publicly and privately, the Sermon on the Mount should shape our very lives. But none of this can happen apart from our relationship with Christ. So it's not the end all of all sermons, but what I'm about to begin is probably the best sermon you're going to hear me do here because I'm just reading what Jesus preached, right? So... From this pulpit, it's very well going to be the best. But I just want you to hear like all those voices combined. Now, this is an important text, not just something we breeze by. So we're in Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to hear the words of Christ. Y'all ready? But we're going to hear the words of Christ as translated to the ESV. You know, can't do the Aramaic. Okay, so here it goes. Seeing the crowds, it begins in Matthew 5.1. Seeing the crowds, he, Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecute the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under, foot, under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. <clears throat> Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You've heard it was, I'm sorry, you've heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him divorce her with a certificate of divorce. I'm sorry, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is... For it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is a footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him take your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. 
For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, Sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts and we also, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others of their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours, your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourself treasures in... Let me try that again, sorry. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? 
Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take out the log from your own eye, and then you will see clearly... lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asking for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give you good things? I'm not, I'm sorry. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And then the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house but did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And Scripture says, And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at His teaching, for He was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. You know, that... That's the Sermon on the Mount, all together, beginning to end. (laughs) There's a lot in it. And in the coming weeks that the Lord gives us, 
We're going to push into those because we want to be those who hear. We want to be those who honor Him. We want to make much of Him. And I think that there's something throughout the Sermon on the Mount that reaches into each one of our lives, if not one thing, then many things. But this was His Sermon on the Mount. I've never gotten to read it all together. I've never gotten to hear it all together. But to me, whenever it's all together, it, it kind of compounds and it, and it adds. And, and He concludes with that. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And then He sits down and He's done. So what I want us to do is I want us to have time to just let that kind of sink in. We've got plenty of time. I'm going to have Brownie come up here and he's just going to strum because I just want to just kind of fill that silence so that Satan doesn't steal the moment away from us because silence can do that. Silence can kind of give that awkwardness where we're like, well, I don't, I don't know what's coming. I don't know what's going to be next. And then we're going to conclude like our time of worship with Before the Throne of God Again, that song that they just introduced, because that's where we stand, Before the Throne of God Above. Despite all of this that we may have broken or be struggling with, Before the Throne of God, we have a great and perfect, a strong and perfect plea that Christ our Savior has died for me. I know it's not exact, but that's our plea, is that Jesus Christ, for all of our failings and our weaknesses, He is the propitiation. He is the atonement. He's the one who has allowed us to come and made us perfect to come before the throne. It's a wonderful song of worship as we rightly see ourselves for who we truly are. Listen to this real quick. Diedrich Bonhoeffer says, The restoration of the church must surely depend on a new kind of monasticism, which has nothing in common with the old, but a life of uncompromising discipleship, following Christ according to the Sermon on the Mount. He says, I believe the time has come to gather people together to do this. That's what doing life together is about. It's what coming together is about. It's living out a life like this. I want to live life alongside people who take seriously the words of Christ and will hold me accountable and that I can hold accountable because one day we will see him face to face and I want to run this race alongside people who get this. And it requires a different kind of church of openness and honesty and transparency and commitment to a deep level. N.T. Wright said, and just get this, and then we're going to pray. Jesus himself, as the gospel story goes on to its dramatic conclusion, lives out the same message of the Sermon on the Mount. He is the light of the world. He is the salt of the earth. He loves his enemies and gives his life for them. He is lifted up on a hill so that the world can see. And so what we're going to do is simply pause and let the Word of Christ dwell richly within us. So we just want to give that space. So Brownie's going to strum. You're going to have like an extended time of prayer, maybe even to keep your eyes open and to kind of read back through passages and just let it dwell richly within us. And then whenever the Spirit moves Brownie, then we're going to sing before the throne of God above. We'll do our benediction. Then we're going to go live as lights in this world. I'm going to ask a momentary prayer and then leave y'all praying. Lord, Your Word opened before us. Your sermon proclaimed yet again aloud. No doubt, the greatest sermon that will ever come through cross life. 
Because it's your words. The words of a holy, infinite, eternal, timeless God, the Ancient One of all days, communicating to us what you intend us to be like. Lord, give us the humility to see your holiness for what it truly is and to be amazed yet again at who you are and that you would love us. Lord, work in our hearts. Your word dividing bone and and muscle and spirit and soul. Work within us, Lord, because we trust you and help us to walk obediently. Give us rest, give us repentance, and help us to rejoice in you. Amen.